Welcome. <laughs> I'm going to have to write it down. Welcome to Deep in the D. This is a podcast for about women's, about women's professional soccer. For new fans. You think. If you think a pitch is something you swing at, and this is the show for you. <laughs> Welcome to Deep in the D. Deep in the D. We're your hosts, Nicole Dyer and Megan Moore. And we are bringing you a very special World Cup edition. Mm-hmm. 2023, in case anyone was wondering if we were going back in time to 1991. You never know. That would be super on brand for us. But no, we're trying to stay current. Trying. All right. So we would give you a game recap, but we've decided that it's just too emotionally draining for us to relive the high drama of the past two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, I don't know, a year. I've lost track of time. But we can sum it up like this. There's been high points, there have been low points, and really nothing in between. We've seen good calls, bad calls, mysterious calls. Nothing is quite what we thought it would be. Everything is upside down. And it is not just because the World Cup is happening in Australia and New Zealand. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when Brazil and Germany go home in the first stage, and you've got Jamaica, you've got Morocco advancing while the U.S. is going home, you know you have entered an alternate soccer universe where anything can happen, and honestly, it's amazing. Super fun to watch. I mean, this is kind of how I feel like watching soccer has always felt for me. Just peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. It seems like maybe that's abnormal for soccer, given what the people are saying, that this is like unexpected. But every game I've watched, I'm like, this is an amazing team, the best team in the world. Here they go. And then they lose. But then the next game, they're the shining stars that I thought they were. Yeah, I've been using this this analogy at work, which is that you can dominate the ball for 90 minutes of the game and then lose in stoppage time because you didn't put the ball in the net. Yeah. I don't think anyone follows me and I'm not sure I follow myself, but it seems to say something about life and our efforts, which is if we're killing ourselves and we have nothing to show for it in the end, that doesn't feel great. Oh, well, yeah, that's exactly what life is. So I know everyone's here for our life advice, and we'll get to that because we've got so much of it. I don't have any advice, but I do have a number of warnings. And I think everyone's just dying for our analysis of the 2023 World Cup. So let's just jump into it. Great. So something I noticed right away, and we've kind of seen this sort of fade a little bit as the teams get better and better, but right off the bat, it's super aggressive. It's like watching a hybrid of soccer, hockey, and ultimate fighting because we've seen body checks, body slams, leg sweeps. Crazy. No pads football. That's what we're looking at. I'm surprised we're not seeing more injuries. And honestly, to me, if there's a strategy to yellow carding your way to victory, I just haven't figured it out yet. And when are the players really hurt? And when are they just playing dead? I guess we'll never know till we get the coroner's report. Yeah, you never know. Are they playing? Are they actors? I don't know. Are they alive? Are they dead? So it's been, it's been rough. I also noticed there's some schizophrenic play. The team shows up one day and they look amazing. And here we're, of course, talking about our beloved Brazilian Brazilians. They look like they're going to go all the way. And the next game, I just don't recognize who they are. I know. You know, it seems like an abusive relationship. 
I know. Maybe that's why I'm just getting so enthralled in all of it. it. Has me by the heartstrings. It's hard. You have to go meditate and figure it out and figure out how you're not going to let it ruin your day. And then you have to kind of adapt and figure out, okay, how am I going to reframe this so I can enjoy the rest of this? It's just a lot of emotional work. See, I think what you've just said is a reflection of your healthy mindset because the only thing I've done in the face of that is double down deeper with my loyalty. So maybe I should take a page out of your book. You know, I'm loyal, but I still want to have a good time and 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 be along for the ride. Because if you go out in the first stage and your team's done, that's it. The fun is over. So you got to just figure it out. I know. I'm going to keep rooting for other people, but I am going to do that while wearing my Brazil jersey every game. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And Brazil's, they're going to be great. I've, I, we're, we're fortunate enough to get to see them all play, many of them play mm -hmm. in the American League. And the thing about the World Cup that makes me a little jealous is like, I want to see more of these players come to the American League. And I'm not sure how it is they decide whether they're going to go to this European League. What do they call it? The Super League or something in Europe or WSL? How do they decide? Is it just whoever pays more? I don't, I don't know why they get flung about. And sometimes they go to a club and they get they're on loan and then they disappear and they come back. But we are getting, I think it's Rafaeli. Is that yeah. her name? The Brazilian. Not sure where she's coming from, but she's going to be joining Orlando, which is super exciting. Yep. Love it. Okay. So we should head over to our unprofessional game highlight. Is really less about a person and more about the hysteria, absolute hysteria over the performance of the U.S. team. This is my humble opinion that it is not that the U.S. has gotten worse. It is that the other teams have gotten better. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that is a cause for celebration, not hand-wringing. Suddenly, much poor nations, we see Jamaica, Morocco, South Africa, they are crashing the party. And let's face it, I think not everybody is comfortable when new faces move into the neighborhood. And we are looking at you, Fox News. Mm -hmm. It can definitely inspire a lot of get-off-my-lawn sentiment. Yeah, it definitely has like a bit of a MAGA vibe, the MAGA of women's soccer, right? You know, and I think really the irony here, the point that I think people are missing is that we really can partly credit the pioneering off fields of the U.S. team for this seismic shift. It's mm -hmm. their legacy is a better league, a better global um, playing field. Um, I think the U.S. has played a, a very honorable role in what is now a global fight for equality and for elevating the game. Mm -hmm. So for people to now bash a team for its struggle against the rising tide, I think is really nothing more than a cheap foul and pure noise. So the hypothetical I would throw out to you is imagine that we have a time machine, right? And we can put this current U.S. squad in a time machine and they go back in time and they can play other American World Cup U.S. soccer teams. Would they win? Which team would they beat, if any, and why? I don't know. I don't even know enough of about their style of play in the past. I mean, like what my takeaway from the earlier te teams is like Mia Hamm was so pretty. <laughs> Julie Foudy seems like such a nice lady now. Like I don't, I don't. <laughs> and they do to this day. I love the shot of them in the stands. I can't remember which game, but the United States is is not having a great game. And as you say, Mia Hamm is sitting there dressed in black with a shawl over her lap. And she looks like she's at a funeral. And Julie Foudy mm -hmm. is, looks very stoic when she later mm -hmm. says, you know, she's intentionally trying not to 
expressed too much disappointment because she realizes the camera could pan to her at any second. But I thought that they yeah. held up publicly very, very well. Here's what I've learned so far about soccer. On any given day, what you thought could be true is not. All your hopes and dreams, they can crumble into dust. Like, this is what I've learned that I, I, it can't be predicted. I don't know why people are still spending time putting stats and charts together about making guesses because I try to be objectively observational. And to me, it seems like it's, it's an absolute shot in the dark. I agree again, in part because there's a sort of schizophrenia to the play. The teams show completely differently game to game, depending on who they're playing. And the professional broadcasters and announcers, you know, they're always going on about the shapes on the field. We've heard this and we've struggled to understand this because I know all I see is a circle and some rectangles. I don't know about you. I see maybe at the 50 yard line. I know they don't call it that, but there's a line that bisects the two halves of the field. So I see mm -hmm. some squares. Sure. But if you're talking about the player formation, you know, when the, those bodies are in motion, it's just a where's Waldo to me. I don't, I don't see shapes. I don't know. They could be in a five. They could be in a 10 situation where they're just stretching their bodies across the field. I, they, they break apart when they start to play. So I don't know. Somebody, these people see things differently than I. I yeah, I, I feel like in that first stage where every, in the first stage of the World Cup where all the teams still have a sh chance, I feel like a lot of their, their method is just disruptive play. Just like, look at Brazil, who's so strong with their combination plays and passes and communication with each other and just make sure that you disturb every single time one person has the ball that's what it looked like in brazil's second game that it was like first game was like look at them shine i love these ladies so much and the second game was like they're they're just disturbing the whole time the opponent just disturbing yeah it's sort of like um the rodeo clown strategy right like you just right this run over around the field yeah i mean you know we saw i think not enough credit goes to vietnam People are too busy bashing the United States. The United States wins three to nothing, right? But they clearly came out with a brilliant, it was the first game of the first stage, and they clearly had a brilliant defensive strategy because they never kicked the ball over the 50-yard line, which I'm going to mm -hmm. keep calling it that, even though it's not called that. But they really never had the ball offensively, but they did exactly what you're talking about. They disrupted at every point. And, you know, they had many advantages, the United States. They are, first of all, at least a foot taller than the Vietnamese players. That was like stunning and probably mm -hmm. good on average 50 pounds heavier than <laughs> just like, like the, mm -hmm. the, the disparity there. Then you have the, the wealth disparity. But I think mm -hmm. Vietnam gave the U.S. hell through its brilliant tactical play. And I think it's unfair to uh, blame all of that on a weaker U.S. team. You know, some credit has to go yeah. to a better, better Vietnamese team that stood no hope really they're lucky to be there and i thought they did a great job so i think that's really fun the days of shooting fish in a barrel for the u.s which clearly they did for a very long time is probably over and it's it's a new dawn as they say mm -hmm. i don't want to linger there too long because it's very emotionally draining and also perhaps because the u.s now sort of finds itself in the 
crosshairs of Fox News. Hey, everybody loves an underdog. And speaking of underdogs, that sort of brings us to our player of the week. Mm, so smooth. Love the way you did that. Okay, so our player of the week is going to Khadijah Shaw, a.k.a. Bunny, who is a nearly six-foot-tall, 26-year-old forward for Jamaica's national team and is now sort of the breakout star of the World Cup. Now, to be fair, that Jamaican team, the goalie, there are a lot of great players on that team. We are sort mm-hmm. of calling out Khadijah Shaw because she um, she has a ton of accolades um, and she's never really taken the global stage in this way before. And obviously, um, Jamaica has overcome a lot to get to where it is. So if Brazil's going to lose to any team, it might as well be Jamaica. Let it be Jamaica. Yeah. And I also think the reason why we're talking about Bunny is because her improbable ascent really is a textbook example of what we're talking about, right? Of the equalizing power of sport. So mm-hmm. Bunny, her father is a shoemaker. Her mother is a chicken farmer. All of this is well documented. And I think we can safely assume that no one built her a $60,000 turf field in her backyard as a kid, <laughs> <laughs> right? She's one of 13 siblings. She learned soccer from her brothers against her mother's wishes. She wasn't even allowed to play soccer until it became clear that she was a prodigy. And I think there was a realization that soccer perhaps could open doors for her. Indeed, it did. By the time she's in the 11th grade, she's got a lot of scholarship offers from the U.S. And she just busts through those doors and and she takes those opportunities. What you want to know about Bunny Shaw? Okay, so just quickly, because she she has the same sort of peripatetic path that most professional soccers have, where they're all, pretty much all over the world. She momentarily plays for a semi-pro league in the U.S. called the Florida Crush, with a K. Crush with a K. Crush with a K. These Florida teams, right? She then goes and plays somewhere in France. Who knows? Who cares? Um, and eventually signs with Manchester City which I understand is in this super league and somewhere in Europe and has a great brand. By contract, Bunny is stuck in England until 2026. So she'll be 28. Now, I don't mean, know if that contract means she can't be traded during that time or I guess what I'm getting at is will we ever see Bunny play in the NWSL? Be That'd fun. be awesome. Fingers crossed. I don't know. You wanted to talk a little bit about our... Um, sort of implied player of the game, one of the people who has supported the reggae girls and Bunny Shaw in their sort of improbable journey to stardom to the global stage. So, you know, we knew we wanted to feature Jamaica in some way during this episode since they last played Brazil and that game sent our chosen nation, Brazil, home. Um, so while that was heartbreaking for us, kind of felt like an honor to lose to Jamaica. And to be clear, it was a tie, right? Oh, and oh, but it made Jamaica advance and Brazil go home. But if we had to choose anyone to lose to, it would have been this team. I mean, the reason why I'm watching sports now is because of the larger stories off the field, the way it affects equality, how these women have gotten here um, and how what they do brings up everyone around them right like I care a little less about that ball bouncing back and forth between feet um and a little more about like look at that legacy that 
Marta left behind starting at, you know, 14, 17 years old. And look how she has affected generations to come, right? That's sort of why I'm here. Yeah, they're, we've said this before, they are suffragettes. Completely. It's sad that we need suffragettes in 2023, but here we are. And, and that's what Yeah, are. yeah, absolutely. So focusing on Jamaica, we wanted to talk a little bit about that national team story and how they've gotten to where they are now. It's a similar story that we've heard before in different nations where, you know, these women having, of course, grown up as girls were not allowed to play and were constantly put down and shamed because of their simple desire to play soccer. I mean, how dare they? There was one example by a 28-year-old midfielder, Sashana Campbell. She says that she grew up playing with boys because there were no girl teams at a high skill level. But what she had to worry about was getting too good because if her skill got too good in a boys league, they would simply kick her out. So the Jamaican Football Federation is awful. They have defunded their women's team many times. And when they are funding it, they're just barely funding it. The Federation has failed to even pay the team and its players after they win. That's gone into litigation and disputes because they are still waiting for their money from other past wins. Um, in order to get to this World Cup, they needed to do two separate crowdfunding campaigns because they didn't have money for flights, transportation, practice games, training, or even simply meals. In their first qualifiers last spring, they had what was called a clear talent advantage. But they were literally weakened by lack of food and hydration. So, you know, while Americans, some Americans in the U.S. are sad for not dominating, I think it's far more important to point out that some of these nations are still fighting for food. Of that qualifier last spring, another Jamaican defender said, they just kept giving us a rice thing with some sort of cheese layer on top. <laughs> that sounds like what we, <laughs> what we eat. I know. That is our cho chosen meal every day. Thank God we're not professional. <laughs> I was like, sounds great. <laughs> Wait, you'll love it. They just kept giving us a rice sort of thing with some sort of cheese layer on top that you couldn't see what was underneath. We would ask for something else, but there was nothing. We even stopped drinking the water that they gave us. So several players at that point came down with food poisoning and they went on to play through that and successfully qualify for the World Cup. They're the first at the time Caribbean nation to do so. I started reading up on this federation. One of the actual press statements released by the Jamaican Football Federation has a secretary of that federation giving this actual quote knowingly to the press. He says, the truth of the matter is, I blame some of the women in Jamaica because they're not coming to the games. They're not supporting the way that they should. He believes it's a societal issue that remains in Jamaica when it comes to women's soccer. Some people do not yet even approve of women playing football. The irony of him blaming it on the women, you know, like it's it's the equivalent of she wore a short skirt, so she should have known better. But it's also the same old story of like, you know, not understanding that you, you have to build 
the demand, right? I mean, we hear this all the time with alternative energy, right? Well, there's no demand. Well, you have to build the demand, right? You have to, yeah. that, that's part of it. And, you know, I think Angel City has sort of unlocked the magic a little bit there. They've got a team that is at the bottom of the table, they say, but mm-hmm. they're pulling in like 20,000 people a game. They have some yeah. of the highest attendance numbers in the whole league. And that is that is what is especially galling about the critiques of the U.S. team when they spend time on fan engagement and they show joy around fan engagement. When you criticize that, you forget what is the most important element here, which is fan engagement. It is true that without the fans, you do not have a sport. Mm-hmm. And that just takes that takes investment. That doesn't happen miraculously it doesn't happen overnight and it's not a surprise that maybe jamaica has a hard time pulling fans into its game but to blame the women it's just a (laughs) facetious the circular argument and um it's old yeah it's old it's boring it's wild it's harmful it's gross um don't worry he resigned so one down well, I also think that as long as w- the, the bright spot here is that as long as the professional game is a path for success and opens doors for these talented young players, there will always be support for them because even Bunny Shaw's mother, who never wanted her play, quickly realized that the sport was providing her with opportunities that she would never find at home. And ended up being quite supportive of her. So, you know, should sport be the only path to uh, solvency or success? Maybe not. But if you're a soccer prodigy and you have this talent, regardless of where it is in the world, there should be a place in which it can flourish. So part of how this Jamaican team has gotten to where they are is through the support of Sidella Marley. She is one of the daughters of Bob Marley, who are obviously the real royalty of Jamaica. She has really stepped up over and over again and backed this team. She says that her support of them started when her son came home with a flyer asking for donations to resurrect the Jamaican women's national team. This is one of the times that they had been defunded while the men's team has consistently been funded. She says that the angrier she got, the more she got involved. She's funded them through uh, her own personal finances, as well as the Bob Marley Foundation, which, as a side note, I looked up breaks in about 16 mil a year just from like existing. So cheers to them. She's worked to promote them culturally. She has found coaches who are willing to work for free. And the players FaceTime her in the locker room after every game, which I think is very sweet. It's cool. It's cool. It's great to have that kind of advocacy and hats off to her for using her power and her platform to good ends. She said her father used to say that Football is freedom. <laughs> I'm not sure about yeah, that. that. You laughed at that. I think if you're if you're stuck in that professional loop, you might think otherwise. But um, yeah, <laughs> at a high price, freedom at a high price. I guess. I guess it's always that way. Well, let's go Jamaica. We'll see where they land. They've already won. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Now we are going to have to head over to 
Marta's Corner. And before we go there, I just want to, for our dear listeners, all you art storage folks, would like to let you know that just because this is Marta's last World Cup, we will always have a Marta's Corner. It'll be there in her legacy, and we will just simply feature her protégés, which is the Brazilian Brazilians. So when we head over to Marta's Corner in some distant future, we may be talking about Bruninha. We may be talking about Dabinha. We may be talking about uh, Adriana. Um, but it really will then become a tribute to the greatest soccer player of all time. Yeah, I'm always going to have something to say in Marta's Corner. It's always going to be Marta's Corner. Even when there's someone else standing in it. She built that corner. That's what I'm saying. She built the corner. Okay, so... Here we go. On to Marta's Corner. My Marta's love. Corner. Christ. How? Marta's Corner. Marta's Corner. Okay. Hit it. A little bit of a recap. Brazil played Panama July 24th. They were beautiful. The one downside for me is Marta was not on the field the entire time. I'm sure at that point they were thinking, we got to save our girl so that we can win this whole World Cup. Little did they know they would not get there. So wish I had seen more of her. But I'll say Ari Borges, she was excellent. She got what they call a hat trick. I don't even know why they call it that, but it means you got three goals in one game, which is pretty impressive. It is one term that I am familiar with, a hat trick. I don't know how. Yeah, but like why? Like, why is it called that? Oh, I've never gotten that sort of philosophical about it or, or questioned it. It's just one of those phrases that you grow up with, a hat trick. I guess because it's like a hat trick. Like, it's like, I don't even, what is that? Well, when you pull like a rabbit out of the hat. Oh. Or, you know, like a pigeon or whatever it is they're pulling out of that hat. It's a hat trick. <laughs> That's an awesome, sounds like an awful magic show. A pigeon came out. It was a New York City magic show. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you were at a magic show now. I'm not sure. They pulled out a dead rat and then they, that might have just been like Washington Square Park that you were in. You're like, oh, a magic show. They pulled out a diabetic foot ah, ah. and they pulled out uh, some decomposed corpse. <laughs> And some garbage, and boom, solved a cold case. <laughs> That's a hot trick. Okay. So anyway, getting back to our bazillion Brazilians, Ari Borges, hat trick. I also just wanted to mention, like, Tabinia, I feel like has been just shining on this national team, and I it just makes me so pumped and happy for her. She did great in that game. They end up winning four to zero. So, you know, we're on a real high. We're like, here come our Brazilian ladies. This is their chance for Marta to win her last World Cup, go all the way to the top. I will say, even though she was not on the field the entire time, just for a short period she was on it, they did seem to have like a specialized high def camera right on her face. And that's all I'm asking for, you know, let her rest. That's fine. But I do want to see her and see like how she's doing, what she has to say through her facial expressions, et cetera. I want to see the um, attendance numbers for these games because I'm pretty sure that Brazil leads the way. The stadium was packed and... Someone somewhere oh, yeah. in the field had a full-on, full-wall mural 
of Marta that they mm-hmm. unfolded the minute she stepped onto the field. Yeah. Yeah. That banana just came showering down across all the other audience members. Yeah. It was like a, it was like a full mural of Che or like, you know, like it was incredible. Yeah. Um, so their fan base was extraordinary. I was so happy to see her just get what she deserved during those fan moments. Yeah. And I'm not sure that she would have seen that much playtime because we heard from that the coach Pia. Pia, um, who seemed cool enough, but in that press conference, Pia sort of said as much that Marta wouldn't start. And part of it's because Marta um, because she spans generations is, you know, no longer built for the game, which goes back to my earlier point, right? I don't believe it. Well, you know, there were some commentators saying that when Marta was in, she wasn't connecting with Dabinia or Dabinia wasn't connecting with her. I think that has more to do with the amount of playing time mm-hmm. that they've had together. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I'm in no position to comment on the connectivity of the team. It just was obvious that in the next two games, they weren't connecting at all. And they were completely disrupted in a completely different team. We never heard from Ari Borges again. It was like she was completely neutralized and might as well not have been on the on the field. Yeah. And it was just the Dabinia show, which was great. It was a great show. Loved it. But again... One one player alone, we as we see time and time again, cannot sustain a win. Yeah, so that's what happened in their second game. It was against France, unfortunately. And I basically don't even want to talk about it because it was brutal and I hated every second of it. And it was just 90 plus minutes of complete destructive chaos, except for like a small moments of when Dabinia had the ball. And so France won and it was awful. So next game. Next The third game and what ends up being their last game in this World Cup is against Jamaica. Like we said, we finally see Marta in the starting lineup. Brazil actually performs very well. They have a lot of control over the ball and a majority of possession. By the 39th minute, it says that Brazil has had eight shots on goal and they were all blocked by the Jamaican goalie. I thought that Dabinia and Marta were playing really well together. I don't know if that's just projection and me just weaving in my own magical thinking narrative, but. That's what I said. Well, in in reality, like Brazil, to be clear, Brazil played better in that game. They bore more resemblance to the first game than they did the second. Yeah. And they didn't lose. It was a tie. So they were eliminated. I think there were several opportunities to put the ball in the net and they just they couldn't do it. You know, they did dominate the ball. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like it was a there's no blowout here. They were better. But Jamaica had a better strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know. So we all know what happened. They tied and Jamaica advances and Brazil goes home um, to like round out and conclude Marta's corner. What I'll say is like, I can't get enough of the love that the world is showing for her right now. She's had many, many well wishes and thanks and gratitude for her career in this game. And like we've said, you know, she really has just paved the way and been the windshield for a lot of these younger players who are coming up behind her and who literally were her opponents during this game like she and bunny had an amazing bunny used to like watch her and look up to her like marked herself in press conferences said like there was no female idol to look to look up to for me um but all of these women that you see now 
nine out of 10 of them are like, well, Marta was my beacon. That's how I got here. Yeah, I think that is a, you know, sort of similar to the Mia Hamm phenomenon in the United States, in which I think Mia Hamm's presence alone jumpstarted a lot of development programs, mm-hmm. a lot of interest in the sport. And this is stateside, right? I think March is more of a global figure, perhaps, than Mia Hamm. But they are similar in their sort of leadership styles, their off-the-field leadership styles, how they show up for the sport. Um, and I, I love it. I love, I love Marta's positivity. I love her earnestness. She will always take the time for fan engagement and she's a role model for more than just people playing soccer. I think. Oh yeah. I think she's really classy. Yeah. Oh, completely. A total class act. You could, you can see it. It's evident. What I really love about this sport right now at this time is you know someone always loses right it's a game it's meant for a winner and a loser but what watching this sport feels like is whenever they win whoever they is we all win that's the whole that's the whole point i mean there'll be more to say as these teams advance viva la reina that's what i have to say yeah, Viva, Viva Lorena. I hope she comes back. We see her playing sooner mm-hmm. rather than later. She's still she's still on the field. She's not dead. She'll be around, you know. And I want to get Bernina back. That'd be fun. What if she's back on the field? Yeah, that'd be great. Be really good. And now we get to know, you know, I I wasn't aware of Ari Borges because she plays for one of these teams that I don't like. Some kind of racing. What are they called? The, the something Louisville, I think. Racing Louisville. I don't know what it means, but that's what they're called. It's not a great team. How about the Louisville Mutiny? <laughs> she loves that mutiny. <laughs> Just anything's better than the team names they they have. And don't get me started on the merch. Like the what's up with the merch? I want my World Cup merch, not just I want I can't you can't even get a Dabinia shirt. Like what up with that? You can't get anything right now. I it's so crazy to me. You know, they don't care. It's awful. It's just dumb. Yeah. Anyone who's interested in making money, that's dumb. Yeah. And they, they've learned this lesson before. Like the last World Cup, they didn't have enough supply for the merch. They under ordered and then they ordered again and they still under ordered. So wouldn't you take that data and like be like, oh, well, we can make X amount of money. I mean, it's just capitalism. If we're not doing that in the world, what is it's just like, well, there's no point, right? As if no one has done this before. There is a formula. Just follow I it. I know, but even at like the Gotham game, the merch is like a folding table. They don't even get to have their gear in the Red Bull store. It's I know. infuriating. And then they don't even have the player jerseys there. And this is in their own home stadium. Mm-hmm. So I let's know. get on that, ladies. Like, let's figure that out. Like, that that's fixable. Get us our merch. Yeah, you need money. Let's let's mm-hmm. sell some merch. Mm-hmm. That's that's the show. That's the show. Great show, Maggie. Great job, Malo. See you at the World Cup. Meet you in the yeah. bathroom. Yeah, right now, because it's a lot of coffee happening. And All right. Bye. Bye. This show was made and edited by Nicole Dyer and Megan Moore and produced by Abe Dyer.